You're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bringing in, it's time for another episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard. Episode 10, I'm really excited about this one because I am bringing on a buddy of mine uh, I met a couple of years back, and he works in what is one of my favorite professional industries, and that is the world of wrestling. There is nothing like it, so I'm pumped to talk to him, and I'm pumped to bring anyone listening to this some of his insight on the industry. He is none other than the standout Edgar and Stone of reality of wrestling and wildcat sports so edgar and man appreciate you coming on and uh dude i'm pumped for all the good things coming your way man yo man thank you for having me on i'm excited to be, to be on here i'm excited to answer any questions you got for me no but like like you said like this 2020 is a big year for me and like i think already with uh with episode 270 of, uh, of Row, of Reality of Wrestling coming out. Just go ahead and check it. There's new things coming out. I have big things for 2020 coming. Hell yeah, man. So I guess just to talk about this, uh, getting started, let's dive back to when this all started for you, and I don't mean when you first jumped into wrestling, but when did you start fantasizing about the ideas of becoming a, a wrestler? Because... If you grew up watching wrestling, and I can speak for myself on this, dude, there were always the fantasies in my head, and I think every kid that watches wrestling, and you hear this from even big-time guys like Edge, CM Punk, like all these other guys, they have these fantasies from early childhood, and some make it, some don't, and dude, you're fortunate enough to make it, so where did uh, where did all these dreams kind of start for you? I mean, just like everybody else, like it started when I was a kid when I was just really, really little, but when it actually became realistic was probably, was probably in, in 2001. Like, even when I was, like, still, I was only uh, 10 years old even then, but I have been watching wrestling for a few years at the time, but at, in 2001, I went to my first pay-per-view, my first live show, and I saw Royal Rumble in New Orleans, and I saw Stone Cold Steve Austin win the Royal Rumble, and they shared a beer with The Rock, and that was probably one of the most incredible moments of my life. Even in that moment, I looked up I looked up like at my brothers that came with me and I told them one day I was going to do this. Dude. And like even even since then, all that all I watched was wrestling and stuff like that. I played my sports and everything like that, but wrestling was where my heart always has, has been and always will be. That's awesome, man. Uh you know, and I remember that Royal Rumble because, and the reason I remember that Rumble specifically was uh, Drew Carey entered the Royal Rumble that year and eliminated himself before Kane could get a hold of him, which was, of course, one of the big comedic moments in Rumble history. But you know, when you go to these live events and things like that, you know, you mentioned you were ten years old. You look up at your brothers at, while you were at the Rumble and just kind of thought, "Yeah, this is something I want to do." Um, you know, talk a little bit about, I guess, some of the character developments uh, as far as who you looked up to, who you would want to 
maybe model your career after. And of course, you get into it now, and you're probably trying to build your own path. But who are some of those guys that you just really love growing up, where you were like, "Damn, I want to do that." So, I mean, like some of the guys I really looked up to were some of the most authentic, but then also some of some were some of the most creative. Like some of the big ones, the biggest ones that just like stand out to me is some of the obvious ones, like The Rock, Triple H, Bret Hart. I, I, I'm a big fan of Batista. I'm a big fan of Randy Orton. I'm a big fan of even uh, of Edge. Those la- those last three have really been where I base a lot of my a lot of my character, like a lot of my personality off of, because those were some of the ones I watched very closely. And even like, even now, I study all those all those wrestlers now just just to see where where are places that I can get better, where are places I can improve. What is what is that thing that I'm missing that really can separate me from other people? But those those wrestlers that I listed, those are like some of the main main roster guys that have really just really just brought forth everything that has come that has come my way and just everything that I've created for myself. The biggest influences I can I can think of. Now, as far as some of those guys go, um, so the three you mentioned, the the last three you mentioned were Batista, Orton, and Edge. What's some of the things that those guys have done or do that you have just liked, whether it be from a character standpoint, whether it be from a technical standpoint, whatever it is, like if you can put your finger on something from each of those three guys that you would love to adopt or you like and drew you to those guys. Like they, the main two is Edge and Batista. They came out. They always came out with such intensity that just that amps you up and has you ready to go to war. And that's literally how it is for me. That's that's how it was when I was an athlete. When I used to, when I played football, when I got ready to play basketball, anything it was going, it was going, getting ready to go on a battlefield. And when it when it really came down to it, Randy Orton is one of the biggest people that, that stood out to me because for him it was like a switch. It was really like. A lot of coaches growing up, a lot of coaches talk to athletes and, and just and just superstars in general about having that switch turn on. You know what I mean? And and Randy Orton probably was one of the best people to show that he's like, yeah, I can, I'm me. But the second that that switch is turned on, it you are, you're my prey. And like that was one of the biggest influences for me. And honestly, it wasn't until wrestling that I truly understood how to turn on that switch. Well, you you hear about this all the time in sports, and guys are totally different in between the lines, and it's the same thing, I guess, in wrestling once you get inside that ring in between the ropes, so to speak. And, you know, whether it's amateur level, whether it's professional level, whether it's recreational level, I mean, you know, we go to the same school. We went to the... Uh, we both go to Nichols. You know, I met you while you were playing football there and I know we a lot of us did the intramural sports and everything like that you know I know you did basketball intramurals and dude even in rec leagues you know you see guys just kind of flip the switch so to speak like you're talking about um now you said you know you didn't really understand it until you started getting into the wrestling of what it meant to do that so what was kind of that big aha moment for you where you're like Oh shit! That's what that means. For me, honestly, I think it was like truly having passion for what I was doing. Don't I mean? And don't get me wrong. I love I loved playing football. I loved playing basketball. I loved everything that I played because 
if you're an athlete, you love being active. But one of the hardest things for me was like was truly to tap into that switch when I was playing. When I was playing, but I had so much passion for for wrestling that when that got started, the second I stepped through a curtain or the second I stepped in a ring, it was only it was like my body took over, and I was just along for the ride. And I think a lot of times, a lot of times, just people watching my matches now, watching me, watching me wrestle now, you can see that transfer because outside the ring. I'm probably, like, you know, I'm probably one of the nicest nicest people you'll ever meet. But the second I step through that, that curtain, I'm the guy who's just aiming to rip your head off. Well, you know, with wrestling, too, you know, you mentioned the adrenaline. Part of that, I think, that would be different. And, of course, I don't have experience with this uh, as you do, but... You know, you go into a you go onto a basketball court. You go onto a uh, football field. You know, there's a potential chance of getting hurt, especially in football, because you are taking hits. But when you walk into a wrestling re a wrestling ring, you're deliberately taking bumps. You're deliberately putting your body in positions and through things that, quite frankly, your body probably shouldn't be going through. So, I guess does. Knowing that, does that sort of bring out that intensity in that animal a little bit more? Knowing that, you know, you're going in there, you're taking bumps, but you also have to protect yourself. I think it absolutely has everything to do with that. Each, every time you step into the ring, it could be the last time you do. And I think that just build, that builds up the moment even more, making you feel like, okay, I've got to give everything I have here because this might be the last time someone sees me. This might be the last time someone hears my name being called as I walk through a ring. This might be my last time. This might be the last time somebody wears one of my shirts to, to one of these. It's like every every time you step in that ring, you're 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 taking a chance of that being the last time. And I think about that every time. I think about that literally every day. I train every day. I I get focused to do what I need to do, and it has honestly been probably the biggest motivator. Because it, it has honestly taken me to points where I'm testing my body's limits. I'm, I'm realizing I could do things that I never thought I could do. And I'm learning so much more and gaining so much more control. So I think, yeah, learning, learning that is, is probably one of the biggest things ever. It motivates you higher than words could even explain. Now, you know, you get into the ring, and we'll talk about this um, in a little bit, just some of the guys you've worked with and things like that. But um, I, I guess kind of playing off of what you're saying, the first match that I actually watched of yours live and in person, uh, I believe it was against uh, Cyrus the Destroyer at Butch Dewey, and correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, but, you, yeah, you go up against Cyrus, and... It's funny because I was I was just kind of starting to see more and more of the Wildcat and everything like that pop up on my timeline. I started following a lot of this stuff, and it, uh, honestly, a lot of it had to do with you because I'm like, well, shit, dude, like I want to support my boy, but um, you know, it, it's funny because one of my uh, buddies who's a fan said, you know, you go in there, you 
pretty much are the one that's destroying people. You make quick work of people because you are a physical presence. Now you're facing Cyrus, and you're kind of on the opposite end of that because, I mean, he was throwing you around like a rag doll. And the match, one of the spots that I was kind of sit, – I'm sitting in the front row kind of clenching a little bit because I'm like, oh, holy shit. You know, you two go up to the top turnbuckle – and then I don't remember if this finished the match, but I, I think it did. But um, you hit the Samoan drop off of the middle rope. And I was like, oh, holy shit. So when you talk about going into these matches, knowing it can be your last. I mean, dude, you're lifting up a guy who's twice the size of you. And you're a, you're a big son of a bitch. But, you know, that's one of those moments I feel like that kind of reiterates what you're talking about but that spot was freaking awesome and i just remember being in the crowd and being like holy shit look at my boy no lie that is one of the craziest matches i've been in and cyrus is one of the strongest most inhuman strength people i've ever met like i'm two, i'm 260 pounds this man is 400 pounds but he's still throwing me like like i'm nothing like i'm a like, I, like I'm a damn softball, <laughs> and and I and, and and let me tell you, and I mean this 100. percent I was hurting that next day. I did not want to get out of bed. I did not want to move. I was so happy that I won, so I could at least smile the next day. <laughs> but I did, I, I did not want to move or go anywhere. I needed to stay in bed and rest. I was hurt. That man, that man took me took me to a whole nother level, which which honestly made me nothing but grateful for it. But that man, that dude is strong as an ox would be an understatement. <laughs> well, dude, I mean, it was within the first minute of the match because you walk up. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit about this before, and we'll get into it. But you work as uh, as a heel for Wildcat. And for those who may not know wrestling terminology, just to fill you in, that basically means bad guy. So, you know, as a heel, obviously, no matter who you're facing, your entire persona as a physical presence is, even if you're facing the giant, so to speak, you're supposed to go in with a little bit of arrogance and show them up. Well, I think it was in the first minute of the match, you guys lock up and, you know, you talk about him throwing you around like a softball. Literally within that first minute, I saw the bump you took because, again, I'm sitting right there. And, dude, I mean, he hurled you across the ring. I was like, holy shit. And it was at that point I was like, all right, this might be a damn good match. And it was. So, you know, I can only imagine the pain you were feeling after that. So, um, But another match that I'd like to talk about, um, you know, this kind of stems back to uh wwe so one of the guys that i saw you got to tag with uh and within the last couple of months was hurricane shane helms who is you know one of the biggest names in wrestling and um you know i was listening to talk as jericho we were talking about this before i was listening to his podcast with david arquette actually earlier this week and he was talking about Shane Helms and what a great guy he was so talk about working with Hurricane and how cool that must have been because you talk about the Royal Rumble I'm pretty sure he was in that Royal Rumble that you went to as a kid he was and and I tell you I tell you what that dude that dude has been around for a long time and has probably one of the youngest souls I've ever met and he that and just being tag partners with him was ridiculously Unreal, and I, 
I had to fight my hardest. Not to not to fanboy out of this. Not to just like kind of just break. It's like, can I get your order? Can I do this? And I'm like, because, like, come on, like everybody else, I grew up watching this guy. This, like this guy, even like a lot of my moves have been inspired by this guy. All about it. Like, in the, in the only thing I will say, one of the things that honestly made me just laugh my ass off is the fact that when we showed up, is when we showed up, it's like at that point I was still wearing black and green, so it was so we actually looked like a tag team. I was matching Hurricane Helms, and, that, and that's literally the only thought that was going through my mind. I'm matching Hurricane Helms right now. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I it's funny because you say that one of his catchphrases as Hurricane for the longest time in WWE was, "What's up with that?" So I think that would have been dope if he would have just dropped that on you the second or while y'all are waiting to come out and everything. But dude, when I when I saw you were gonna be tagging with uh, with Hurricane, dude, I was I was pumped for you, man, because that's a big moment. And you know, Wildcat has a lot of a lot of those guys uh, who are mainstays in Wildcat, uh, Steve Anthony, Stephen Richards. That you know, I I know they've brought RVD to a couple of events, Harlem Heat. So. You've been on the card where a lot of those guys have been there, so it's it's got to be awesome being able to just sit in a room and pick those guys' brains. My entire experience through Wildcat, through reality of wrestling, through my entire wrestling my, my wrestling career so far has been extremely eye-opening and just been nothing but uh, but just a, like a path of learning. Like working with Hurricane Helms, I got the opportunity to work with, with, uh, with Stevie Richards. I got the I got the opportunity to work with um, I got the I got the opportunity to work with so many amazing people that it just like so many come to mind it just overwhelms me I just I just had a match with uh, with MVP not too long ago and it's like it's just it's completely surreal the life that I'm living the fact that I get the opportunity to wrestle or even get to work with guys that I grew up with. Now, if you could kind of pinpoint, and without throwing anyone else under the bus, so to speak, or making anyone feel bad in this question, but is there someone who, well, I, I mean, I would assume Luke Hawks, the founder of Wildcats, obviously one of those guys who's helped you a lot, but um, aside from him, and we'll talk about him in a minute, but is there anyone who, like a, a Hurricane, a Stevie Richards, or anyone like that who you know, you can recall one thing that they may have told you that's helped you or someone, something or someone that's just helped you along the way in a big way? To be honest, one of, one of my toughest matches, one of the toughest matches early in my career was one when I had to face Stevie Richards. And that was just, that was probably one of the first times I faced somebody that I grew up watching, that I grew up worshiping, that even when I was going through training and watched him doing matches at Wildcat, was just like, I can't wait for this day to come. And, and, and Steve, and, and Steve was just, he was just amazing and, and, lead, and leading me and also just, just dropping down so much knowledge that literally has affected my, my career, my, 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 my mindset, my entire way of thinking when I'm in the ring. It's just affected me in so many ways that honestly, even just on here, I, I couldn't, I can't help but just say thank you to him. Because one of the things, one of the hardest things for me was to slow things down in my mind 
like, even though I played sports, like, you know, even though I played sports, even though I did all this, I didn't really, I never really, like, jumped out, like, and, like, gotten, like, got the center of attention, like, wanted to be the center of attention, anything like that. Now I'm jumping into something where it's, like, I don't really have a choice. And so it was one of the hardest things to adjust to that. And honestly, talking with Stevie pretty much probably about an hour after our match, that man laid on laid down so much knowledge, so much, so much just real talk with me that it just it changed my it just changed my mind frame and it just has really helped me be driven and motivated to my goals that I have I have for myself today. Is there something in that conversation that stands out to you, like one little nugget of information that you'd be willing to share that just has helped you along the way? One of the one of the biggest things he said, and one of the biggest things that he just he always he always harps on. And honestly, it goes back into my fit, the other part of my life, which is personal fitness. This man reads just taking care of yourself, taking care of your mind, taking care of your body, making sure your everything is healthy. If nothing is is straight. If nothing is good, if nothing is healthy, you can't do anything. If you don't have a strong-willed mind, if you don't have a focus, if you don't have a motivational tool, if you don't have some form of direction of knowing what you would like to do, you will get lost. And it's not about whether or not like it's accepted by everyone or it's accepted by or it's accepted by like a specific uh, demographic or, or just specific group of people. It's about it's about being yourself, being being proud of yourself, and being proud of who you are, and expressing that. And that was honestly one of the hardest things for me to do was to really have the confidence to be myself in the beginning. Well, dude, I mean that's a tough that's a tough act to follow in terms of you know trying to be this character, but also trying to break down that fourth wall that gets talked about and be yourself to some degree. So I can only imagine. And you know, you talk about Stevie Richards, so. The event I went to, that uh, same event where you uh, beat Cyrus, he took on PJ Hawks, who is the founder of Wildcat, um, Luke's son, and yeah. you know that, yeah, that match was insane. And you know one of the one of the crazy parts about that match, and I, I turned to the buddy I was with, and I was like, it. It's wild because, and this isn't a slight at, you know, any talent that Wildcat has because, dude, I mean, honestly, I was I was utterly surprised at how much I enjoyed it because, you know, obviously it's, I've watched mainstream my whole life. It's always been a, or WWE, now it's AEW. It was WCW back then. So this was my first real taste at a live indie event, so to speak, and dude, it was amazing, but... Um, one of the things that Stevie, you could tell he brings to the table is that WWE presence because of how long he did it. Because PJ is a young guy. I mean, I, I expect him to be just that a young guy trying to find his inner workings, just like you are. And with Stevie, you could tell how much he was, you know, kind of carrying that match to some degree. And, um, it, it's such a great way I feel like to put those young guys over. But you know, but you gotta understand with Stevie, like you said, he can't. He comes with a lot of background, but that even that's an understatement. That man has been everywhere. That man has done everything, and even at his age, he still.
only keeps up with like new talent coming in, but he surpasses them himself. And you can't you can't help but notice that, respect that, and just you want to know the secret to that. You can't you cannot step in the ring with Stevie Richards and not feel like you had just gone up another level and have learned something. That's that's what that's what that guy does. He just he makes you elevate on a whole nother level. Well, I feel like getting in a ring with some someone like that, you know, it's that kind of I, I guess to relate it back to you, it's that moment of going from, you know, high school football to college football. It's just all right, well, either you step up and answer the challenge or you fall flat and you may not get this opportunity again. One hundred percent. So um but now that you've moved to uh reality of wrestling uh, over in Texas, you moved a couple of months back. You've been doing that uh, for a few months. And one of the interesting things, so we talked about you being a heel a little bit uh, in uh, Wildcat, but you're working as a face over in Texas. So talk about how that's been going, what kind of got you moved to Texas, and you know, just overall, how's it been going? Man, I've been in Texas here for about seven months now, and I... Honestly, I think it's the best decision I've, I've, I've ever made. I miss I miss home. I, I miss my home in New Orleans. I miss Wildcat. I miss all, everybody that I train with. But as far as as far as what everything I want to achieve in my life, the, like expanding expanding my name, building my building my craft, creating something for myself, I couldn't be in a, I couldn't be in a better in a better place towards towards what everything I'm going I'm going for. I. I, I think that this was the right choice for me, and then going to a reality of wrestling is—it's once again—it's it's elevating, it's elevating and expanding, and learning everything. I'm working like working with Booker T now. That's a whole nother level. That's a whole nother step forward. And and even with me saying that, I couldn't be—I couldn't say anything but thank you to Wildcat for everything that they that they teach me. And everything that they still continue to teach me today, because when I go home, I'm still learning. And that's one of the things I love about this sport is the fact that I can, I continue to learn no matter where I go. But being at being in Houston, it's a it's a new life. Uh, like I'm doing I'm doing myself a wrestling. I'm also building a, a personal training uh, business for myself. It's just it's it's a new chapter in my life. Is what I, I guess what I'm trying to say on that. Now, working with Reality of Wrestling, you know, you mentioned you're working with Booker T. Um, you know, talk about some of the matches you've had there. Who's some of the other guys that you've enjoyed working with? And, you know, what's one of the best matches that you feel like you've put on since you moved? Uh, I mean, I haven't. I've done. I've worked. I've worked guys like uh, a man named Abel Jackson. I've worked. I've worked. I've worked that. One of, the, one of the biggest matches that I've worked is uh, is Ryan Davidson out here in Texas. That this guy has worked for so many years, but this man has put in so much work that has stood out more than anything. And he's been a real big part of me settling and adjust, like settling settling in and adjusting to out here in Texas, but also helping me raise raise my level, raise my raise my talents, and just push myself as a wrestler. To like whole new levels of potential, whole new, whole new moves, whole new mindset, 
just learning something every day I step in the ring with him. Hey. Uh, he would. He was. He 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 also wrestles at Wildcat New Orleans. He travels all over the country, and uh, he was a real big a real big influence for me. Just watching him wrestle and everything like that. It's just now I get to train with him like a like a brother, like a partner, and it's and it's amazing. It's a uh, like I can't say uh, once again like another person. I can't help but say thank you to everything that he's teaching me. Now, one of the things that you had to that I talked about earlier that you kind of had to flip gears on. So you work as a heel in Wildcat. You're working as a face now in in uh, reality of wrestling. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, what what entails uh, working as a heel or a face? Let's start with being a heel. Um, you know, you go into Wildcat, you work as a heel, and – there's a lot of you watch documentaries, you listen to interviews. There's a lot of guys who prefer heels, uh, being heels, so to speak, because they think it's easier. You can get the cheap heat. You could do all the underhanded things that can put you over. So, uh, when did you find out, or was it your decision? Was it someone else's decision that you were going to be a heel working in Wildcat? I mean, when I when I found out, I was. I was excited because I get to work. I get to work different ways, and and a lot of times, and a lot of times, I am a little bit more, a little bit more laid back, a little bit, a little bit more silent as a heel. I can be more. I can be more out there. I can be more obnoxious. I can be arrogant. Uh, one of the things that a lot of places love saying, a lot, of, a lot of commentators love to do is they love to talk about how I look, how my body goes. I can get a little conceited and and. and and self-absorb about it so that people want to hate me. <laughs> and I won't lie, sometimes it doesn't work because sometimes they just focus on the body. But <laughs> when I, but what, but honestly, it's something that I've always needed to work on because babyface, honestly, being a good guy is not hard for me. Like it's, it, it, it's a little bit easier when you're when you're a big guy. You have a look, and it's just like you want people, and you make people want to get off their feet. Getting people to hate me, honestly, was harder for me hmm. because it was hard for me because a lot of people do see me outside of the ring. Right. They do see me. They do see me like just in, in, a, normal, in a normal setting, a normal environment, and see like this guy. Uh, it's like this guy isn't such an asshole. <laughs> but but once again, the second the second I step in, the second I step in for Wildcat, it's it's everything I ever want. The second I step in for reality of wrestling. I want everything. I want I want all the recognition. I want all the attention. And I want and I want to make sure that everyone knows it's coming. But the difference is how it's presented. If I if I'm a heel, I don't need to earn that shit. But if I if I'm a babyface, it's my actual personality. I believe everything should be earned. You need to work your ass off for everything that you get in this business. Now, talking about heel and babyface, uh, let's pinpoint this down back to a similar question I asked earlier about guys you looked up to. Uh, you know, growing up, um, actually, before I ask that, I'll switch it up a little bit. Before I ask the question I want to go to, uh, as a kid, you know, I know you said it's more natural for you to be a babyface, but as a kid, when you were kind of talking to, to yourself and talking to your friends about being a wrestler, did you envision yourself as a babyface back then, or did you 
weren't sure, didn't know what it meant, or what was your thought process, I guess, as a kid versus uh, as far as working heel or face? As a kid, I think it's just like everybody else. We didn't really know the difference between heels and faces, but we knew wrestlers that we liked and we hated. True. Or disliked. So it's like, for me, I was like, I'm going to be just like The Rock. I'm going to be <laughs> just like Ed. I'm going to be I'm gonna be just like Batista. I'm going to be, you can start calling me, you start calling me this, you can start calling me that. It's like, and, and, and just like everybody else is like, you're, you're crazy or you're just, you're a little whacked out of the head to think that that's, that's really what will happen. But I mean, like, like at that age, we don't know what's good or bad. All we know is that like this dude, this dude, this dude was cool. This dude has my attention. This dude's entertaining. Or this guy's, well, a dick. <laughs> so, so it's like for, for me, I just knew who I wanted, who I wanted to be like. And then as I grew up learning about the difference between heel and faces, I started, I started learning, I started learning how how they acted and how they portrayed. And one of the funny thing, funny things was was even before I was wrestling, like I would watch, I would watch closely. I would watch wrestling much closer than a regular fan, like trying to understand everything that was happening. So it's like as the more and more I got, the older I got, the closer I got to wrestling. The closer I got to wrestling, the closer I got to becoming a wrestler. And now, and now I'm a, and now I'm a wrestler. And now I'm like, you know what? Put me in the ring and just let me do my thing. <laughs> well, the ironic part about uh, some of the guys you mentioned, The Rock, Edge, Batista, is while they've been good faces at one point or another, they were also some of the best heels edge more so than the other two, I think. Um, so that kind of leads me into this question and what I was originally going to ask you. So let's start with a baby face. Who was the, the big baby face that you looked up to growing up? I mean, I assume being, you know, roughly the same age as me, Growing up with Attitude Era Wrestling, it was probably a toss-up between The Rock, Stone Cold, or one of those guys, but who's the one that just kind of put it over for you as far as being a kid? Who did you look up to as a babyface? I'll tell you what, probably one of the greatest things is, yes, The Rock and it's like Stone Cold, they stood up for they like they stood up for who they were, and they, and they were very upfront in their personalities, but you'll laugh at this one. One of the biggest influences was Rikishi. Nice. Nice. So that, so, why that, Rikishi? That was a dude who was comfortable and just did and just felt everything that he did. Like it wasn't he wasn't uptight. He wasn't like he wasn't super serious. But you could. But the second you pissed him off, you pissed him off, and you knew he was upset. But it was rare that that happened. Other than that, he was in that ring. And he was having a good time, and he loved what he did. And that was probably one of the biggest things was was being able to do something that I love. Like, come on, after Rikishi would win a match, do his dance, and you know damn well, just like me, you were a kid in the living room. Absolutely. You were a kid doing the doing the dance in the in the center <laughs> in the uh, in the center of the living room. Dude you it's know you put you know hat on, you know you put the shades on. Well it's funny because I went to one of the WWE house shows as a kid and one of the th- items that I bought was the two cool yellow glasses and it's funny you know it is funny that you bring up Rikishi you're right but thinking about the dynamic of that character now that you kind of say it it's something that 
most people don't think about because when you when you talk about the balance of being serious, being funny, having fun, just doing what he loves. So obviously with him being a Polynesian, one of the rules of wrestling is you don't hit a Polynesian in the head. If you hit a Polynesian in the head, you're going to get five fingers across the face and you're about to get your ass kicked. So you saw that mean streak in some matches with Rikishi. But then, of course, you had the dances after the match. And even during the match, you know, one of his signature moves was, of course, the stink face. And one of my favorite moments in wrestling history was the Vince McMahon Kiss My Ass Club. Well... Vince McMahon got introduced to the Rikishi Kiss My Ass Club uh, after The Rock teased him of whose ass he was going to kiss for an entire segment. Brought out JR, brought out Trish Stratus. Um, one of the best, uh, I remember as a kid. Yeah. Oh, dude, it was one of the one of my favorite moments in wrestling. I have a uh, the WWE Vengeance DVD when that became a thing, and that was one of the. One of the highlights on that DVD, one of the pre-segments leading up to the Undisputed Championship, I believe. But um, uh, switching gears now, so we got Rikishi as the face. You're, you know, one of your biggest influences as far as babyface. Let's talk about heel now. Who's who's the guy that you just love as the ultimate bad guy? You can't you can't go wrong with Triple H. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with Shawn Michaels when he went through his heel phase. But honestly, one of the one of the best heels definitely would be Triple H for me. Yeah. Just be just because of just how many times that man could like just get inside the head. Like that dude really like he stuck to his name. He he stuck to his moniker. That man was the game, and that dude was a fantastic heel. And I think even now, even now, like even now he's. He's running. He runs NXT. Yeah, and still, and it, still, like even with the same tone of voice, still shows like almost switches to a babyface almost. But you still, even just hearing his voice, all you hear is him basically breaking you down psychologically to get ready for a fight with you. Twice called the game. Exactly, but yeah. no, I, I honestly think no one did it better than him. No, and that's fair. Um, Triple H. You know, it, he was. You, we talk about it as a kid. We know the guys we liked. We know the guys we hated. I hated everything about Triple H growing up. And then once you get older and you you kind of understand the the scriptings or inner workings of it, and um, you know, Triple H, as I got older, started to become one of my favorites because of how good he was as a heel. You know, I think back to my childhood. I first got into WWE, WWF at the time. Uh, It was right after the Royal Rumble where The Rock and Big Show had the controversy of whose feet hit the floor, which led to the the WrestleMania uh, match that was a uh, fatal four-way between The Rock, Triple H, Mick Foley, and Big Show with a McMahon in every corner. And that was one of my favorite builds, and it's probably just because it was one of the first builds I really ever saw, but watching Triple H work against Mick Foley and how much I wanted to kill Triple H every time he went over on Mick Foley, I'll never forget that build. And then, of course, The Rock comes in, Triple H retains, but then The Rock wins at Backlash when Stone Cold returns to basically screw over Triple H and his regime, so... 
But Triple H, man, I mean, like you said, I don't know that there's anyone that you can pinpoint that's really better as a heel. I mean, but like, like even just like listing some of the guys that we listed, like the Attitude Era was probably one of the most 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 influential eras for me. Like it, it was the most influential era for me, and it built a lot of my love for wrestling now because it just it told it told the stories. It told everything that you that it, it built up everyone you want, you need to be invested in. It made you hate everybody you need to hate. It literally it sucked you into that world, and I got sucked in and into the attitude era. I got so sucked in. Yeah, I think we all did. <laughs> um, well, let me ask you this, and this is kind of diverting away from uh, the mainstream and just more talk in general, but. One of one of the things that I hate about people who don't watch wrestling or don't understand it to a certain degree, and it's funny because I, I had my nephew ask me this the other day, and, you know, he's eight. He doesn't really understand, but he was like, you know, is wrestling fake? I was like, one, don't ever use the word fake around me when it comes to wrestling. I was like, it's scripted, it's predetermined, but it's anything but fake. I'm about to say, I have suffered more injuries from wrestling than I have in my entire career of, of, of any other sport that I've done. Like, I sacrificed my body a whole lot more than I did in this, than I did in any other sport that I've done. So, for someone to tell me that, and, and this is a real big pet peeve of mine, but for someone to ask me, is, is wrestling fake? I really want to pull, I really want to pull Andre Giant and just body slam somebody on top, on just, on just the floor, just... Right, right out in the open. And I don't think anyone like, in the wrestling industry would blame you if you did that. I, I'm, I, that's what I'm saying because it's like you really want to come at me right now and say something where I sacrifice my body, do everything that I'm doing, have marks, have all the scarring, everything that shows that I'm doing everything. But you still want to ask, isn't that fake? That That is literally, for me, that is literally just a shot of someone trying to take, a, that is literally someone trying to take a shot because they're unhappy or they're just, they're just upset about something. Yeah. And they really want to make feel as, as low or as bad as they do. Because I'm not, because for me, wrestling, wrestling is, has become a part of, wrestling is, is my life. And even before I became a wrestler, it was a part of my life then. And it made me feel a type, of, a certain type of way that a lot of times got me through a lot of a lot of dark and sad days. So for me, for for someone that like to try to downplay something that influenced me, that built a lot of strength within me, and that also just it honestly it created a lot of the man that I am today. For you to try to say something like that, it's it's an insult to my heart. Absolutely, it's an insult to my face, and I and I just I have no sympathy for that. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about how wrestling, it pulled on your heartstrings. And now, of course, that you're doing it, it obviously means that much more to you than it would be to any fan, you know, like myself. But when you talk about how wrestling just has this way of making you feel a certain way, it does what no other industry can do. And I think the best way that I can describe it is it takes 
the unbelievable and makes it believable. It's the only industry where you can have a pallbearer walking around with a dead guy who just tombstone pile drives people to hell, basically. It's the only industry where you can have a rikishi rub his ass in someone's face and not get charged with sexual assault. It just takes all of those fantasies, those those intricacies of real life that can't happen, and it puts it on full display. It's funny. It's emotional. You know, I think... I think with wrestling, we all can think about one moment that we were just dying laughing. We can all think of that one moment where we we're in tears. We can all think of that one moment that gives us goosebumps. And we can think of that one moment that just drove pain in us. And that's just as a fan. So when you start talking about those things, you know, building up to you as a wrestler and in the ring as a performer, I mean, dude, I can't even imagine. Now, I, I guess... Uh, kind of playing off of that point too um one of my one of my favorite moments for wrestling and it's because i was there was of course wrestlemania 30 um undertaker lost the streak daniel bryant uh daniel bryant goes over triple h and then eventually wins the title after months of basically getting shafted what's what's a big moment for you that you just were completely come come about with joy as far as wrestling goes that's a got to have you might need i might need a pull to the archive for that one <laughs> uh, it's honestly it's a lot of those those like those really big mania moments but there's like and those are probably some of some of the moments that really filled me with the with the most emotion uh, most emotion it make me feel the most, and I, I, I honestly can I honestly can say like Sean Sean Michaels doing uh, Ric Flair's retirement match, dude. That was probably one. Like I and I know and I know that sounds like such like a fanboy answer, like just like a wrestling geek answer, but that is probably one of the most emotional moments of my entire life. Even as a and I watched that as a kid and I felt so I felt something dude, for it. Ric Flair. So, so Ric Flair is one of my. F- I'm sorry. Go ahead. I watch that match at least five times a year. Yeah. Because like, it just it doesn't like nothing has ever like captured my emotions so deeply than that moment, than in that moment and that match in general, because those were two those were two just, I just idolizing figures, idolized figures that were just they paved the way for a lot of stuff. Oh and yeah. They paved the way for. A, for just so many, so many people. Well, dude, you talk about Flair. So Flair is one of my favorites of all time next to Chris Jericho. I think those are my top two favorites of all time. But Flair, and, and Jericho honestly didn't come into that mold until the last couple of years just because I respect the longevity and how on top he's been his whole career at this point. But Flair, when he retired... Dude, that was a gut punch for me. I mean, I grew up going to WCW with my dad and uh, watching Flair in WCW, and then eventually he returns to WWE as uh, uh, the general manager of Raw as Vince was running SmackDown. So he comes back to WWE, and he's just, dude, he knows how to work a crowd. And in that match... Uh, you know, you say you go back and watch that probably five times a year. 
almost every WrestleMania, that's one of the first matches I go back to and I watch. Because one of the things... You know, we we talked about this before we started recording, and, you know, we talked about the storytelling of wrestling, how it's so important to drive a narrative through your match. That match epitomizes that. And then to end it by basically breaking the fourth wall, that whole storyline broke the fourth wall. No one wants to be the guy that ends the career of Ric Flair, but at the same time, it's the ultimate honor. And Shawn Michaels has talked about that on more than one occasion, but sets up for the sweet chin music, and then you see him mouth "I love you" to Flair, dude. Every time, I, I think that's you know we talk about the moments that make grown men cry. That next to Mufasa's death are the top two for me. I could watch that three times in a row, and I'll cry three times in a row. I'll just I'll still be crying by the third one from the first one. Yeah. Absolutely. That 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 shit gets right goes right to my heartstrings and it tugs it tugs like crazy. Yeah. That that is honestly that's if anybody like ever asks me it's like and I hate and honestly like a lot of times I don't like bringing it up because I know everyone brings it up. But it's that big of a moment. Well, everyone brings it up because it is that big of a moment. I think anyone who's a wrestling fan and a, a diehard wrestling fan, I don't think there's any diehard out there that can watch that and not shed a tear. Exactly. I mean, it was just, it was just like it was just it was emotional overload for for a lot on a lot of different levels. It was it was incredible. Now, um, you know, I, I guess for you, uh, as we're coming to a close in a little bit here, so. With with you working as a face in reality of wrestling now, you know, and you kind of expanding into Texas, what's the next step for you? Where I guess if in six months' time, what's your big goal here? Uh, honestly, every every day is a new goal for me. Every day is is uh, is something I'm working towards towards stepping up another level or just getting a little bit closer to another level. Like I said, I moved. Uh, once I moved out here, I've been with Reality Wrestling. I in six months, I I definitely hope I'm still there and building and big and building something even bigger in there. I'm I'm building my own wrestling, my uh, my own personal training, uh, my own personal fitness business, which is which is start as which has begun to take off and begin to uh, to actually create a little buzz out out here in Houston. So I mean, in six months, in six months, I hope to have. In six months, if I'm being real with you, man, I hope to have everything that I'm driving for and be able to travel more and, and go across the country, go out the country, get internationally known. Like my, I, my dreams, my dreams include traveling to, to Mexico, to the, to the UK, Japan. I, like you say six months, but literally I take it a day at a time and building towards everything I want for my life. Now, what's uh, I, I saw you did just have a uh, a title match recently. Um, so, as far as that goes, you know, what's I I guess for you with reality, you know, is that another kind of short term goal for you though, is to eventually get that championship? And I'm not a hundred percent sure, but would that be your first championship? I uh, I actually haven't had that title shot yet. Uh, it's coming up. It's coming up soon though. Um, but it would be, it would be my first title. It would be my first championship belt. Uh, which honestly, per- 
would be a huge <laughs> would be a huge deal for me. It would be a huge moment for me. And being honest, I probably would cry a little bit. But <laughs> but I but every day I work towards not not being champion, but being being and creating something that I can be proud of and will look in the mirror and be like, you're on the right track. Yeah, I yeah, I absolutely hope that I can become cha- become champion in, in the in the near future. But my 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 goals are always just to be better and to reach a new level. And it's I guess that's one of the cool parts about wrestling too is unlike sports, unlike uh, you know sports like NFL or you know football, basketball, MMA, titles validate you know your career whereas titles in wrestling don't necessarily validate it to some degree because of course they're important but you know talking about AEW here one of the guys that is obviously one of the biggest known wrestlers not just in the US but across the entire globe because of his work in places like New Japan Kenny Omega one of the big buzzes around the internet right now is well, he's not being utilized properly. He's, you know, he's not in the title picture. And a guy like Kenny Omega, who's a seasoned vet at this point, who is one of the four corporate faces of the company, he just wants to put the other guys over. And he said that before. And he's still, I think, nine and four total in AEW. And he's doing his job of putting guys over while still not losing that buzz and i guess kind of playing off of your point of just trying to be the best you can be like i said you know even if those titles don't come that's the beauty of wrestling is you can validate yourself in so many other ways but i mean listen to what and that's exactly what i'm saying listen to what you just said that man he's not in the title picture he doesn't have a title on his shoulder on his shoulder at AEW but we're talking about him. People, people that watch AEW are talking about him. They know that he should be there. They know that he deserves that. But he's, but he himself is talking about. He just wants to create something better. He wants to be better. He wants to. He wants to. He wants to help the new talent get better. And that's that's literally that's my mindset. The second I step step into a, step into training, step into the ring, step into a weight room, it's how can I be better. How can I be better today than I was yesterday? What is the next step, and how do I get there? Well, what's the uh, playing off of that? What's the next? I guess what's one of the biggest things you want to work on as far as your character, whether it be you know in ring, uh, you know in your demeanor, personality, or on on the mic in your promos. You know what's what's kind of the big thing for you right now that you'd love to really hone in in the next you know couple of days couple of weeks one of the biggest things i'm working on now is just is my uh is my speaking is my promos is my like my on-camera work because it's this this goes back a long time for me kind of going back to how i was raised as an athlete my dad always raised me to let my actions and let my my abilities do the talking for me now I have to. Now I'm in a business where I need to. I need to talk about it. I need to prove it, and then I need to walk like walk my walk like I always have been. But and being able to be on camera is something a little bit different for me that I that I always feel that I will always need to improve on, and that I will always get better, just like me stepping in the ring. But uh, on cam on camera work still needs work, and then uh, my social media presence. I gotta I gotta build up. On 
social media. I ain't, I'm I'm an old soul when it comes when it comes to social media, and I just I have trouble getting it. But that's something that I'm improving on to to honestly increase my career, increase my increase what I need to do, so I can keep doing what I love. And you bring up the the sports and you know how in sports the the rule is to let your play do the talking and that's what's interesting about wrestling too is you got to walk the walk but you also have to talk the talk and then doing this on camera on camera work isn't easy for most people you know even for people who have been doing it for years i mean i still get on get on camera i've I started getting on camera when I was 16, although I haven't really honed it in, so to speak. But there's still certain things and times where I look at myself on camera. I'm like, the fuck am I doing? Like, what what the hell was that? Um, so I totally understand the, the on-camera side of it and trying to hone that in. But, you know, as, as long as you keep working, as long as you keep grinding, man, I'm sure you'll get there and... Dude, I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your insight with uh, with wrestling with us because, dude, I mean, I've told you on more than one occasion, I'm a huge mark for wrestling. So this was cool, and, dude, best of luck in the in the near future, and I hope you really hit those goals that you're in and get to those places you're trying to get to. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate you having me on, man. Dude, hell yeah, man. And, uh, you know, I... I Tell all the other guests that I've had on, you know, a couple of months down the road, we'll get you back on, let you fill us in, update us, whatever we got to do. But for those of you listening, I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, It's been another great episode of the Hotz Hard Huddle podcast, and I was with my buddy Edgar and Stone, the standout, who is a star of Wildcat Sports and Reality of Wrestling. So for those of you listening, thanks for tuning in. As always, honor the huddle. Thank you for tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Stay up to date with all the latest episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month at HotardHuddle.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.